When looking at Clayton White and South Carolina's defense heading into this upcoming fall, it is put up or shut up time for the rush defense. You are locked on Gamecocks. Your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I'm Andrew Lyon, the host of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, and you can also find my written work over on Gamecocks Digest on SI.com. Thank you so much for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch here today. We are free and available both on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcast daily. Before we get into this Wednesday edition of Locked On Gamecocks, I want to let y'all know that today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college, and when you enter promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order that you make. We're going to continue our conversations with hosts around the SEC that are part of the Locked On Podcast Network as I'll be talking with Locked On Aggies host Andrew Stefaniak about the Gamecock series with the Aggies and what else is going on in College Station in 2023. But that will be for later in the show. Before we touch on that, we need to talk about the biggest storyline for South Carolina's defense this upcoming fall. For multiple reasons, South Carolina defensive coordinator Clayton White and his unit's ability to stop the run will be heavily scrutinized in 2023. There are multiple reasons why this is going to be the case. The first one being quite simple. It is year three of Clayton White's time here in Columbia. And so far, when it has come to rush defense, the results have not been great. In 2021, the Gamecocks gave up an average of 175 rushing yards per game, which was the fourth worst rush defense mark in the SEC. This mark only got worse in 2022, as the Gamecocks gave up 198 average rushing yards per game this past fall. That was the second worst mark in the SEC and the 15th worst mark overall at the FBS level. So... Clearly, going into your third season, you cannot have a third year where you regress. Honestly, you cannot have a season where you just simply match what you did in year one. South Carolina's rush defense needs to see marked improvement in 2023. And when you look at the roster, you've now got a lot of your players on this squad. That's another reason why you're going to face more scrutiny or you're going to be more heavily watched in this upcoming season. The linebacker room has almost been completely overhauled since Shane Beamer, Clayton White, and this coaching staff arrived in Columbia back in the 2020 offseason. There's a lot of people that would sit there and say that South Carolina's linebacker room is going to be better this next season because you've got guys like Stone Bland and Debo Williams that are going to potentially be starting, or maybe you say Mo Cava or a Grayson Pup Howard that are going to be in that starting group. Either way, it seems like that from an overall perspective, 
the fan base and maybe even some pundits out there would view the linebacker room as being upgraded in the starting lineup this upcoming fall. You look at the defensive end position and the secondary unit. Both of these groups also are mainly full of your guys now. This is no longer a situation where Clayton White and this defensive coaching staff are using players from the previous regime in totality, where you are having to basically use guys that you did not recruit to your team. That's not the case anymore. You now have your guys in there. You've got a lot of guys on your roster that have now been in your system for multiple seasons, or they're getting ready to go through your system for a second season. So again, it is expected that this rush defense is going to improve. Here's the other thing. This problem has been acknowledged by both the coaching staff and the players this offseason. People like Shane Beamer, Clayton White, and multiple defensive players have said that fixing the rush defense issues is a point of emphasis for the defensive side of the ball this offseason. And this is an admission of an understanding that there is indeed a problem that needs to be fixed. And I say that because it's important to understand whether people are naive or they don't genuinely know that they have got an issue going on with themselves. Once a person or a group of people admit that there is a problem, from that point forward, the over-expectation from everybody else around them is going to be that that person or that group of people is going to work their hardest to try and rectify those issues. And either way, you're going to see some drastic improvements just purely through overall work ethic. So, because of that, again, people are going to remember this as the 2023 season continues to progress. And we'll go back to this if things have not changed in this area. And here's the other thing. The road is only about to get tougher in terms of the competition and the running games that you are going to be facing in the very near future. South Carolina already on an annual basis has to deal with Clemson's Will Shipley and Paul Maffa, Tennessee's unique spread running game, Kentucky's power run game. And here's the other thing. If South Carolina's got to play more of the SEC West opponents, at least as they're currently known, along with other teams like, say, Texas and Oklahoma with this new scheduling model, that means that South Carolina's rush defense could have to deal with more guys like old Mrs. Quinshawn Judkins, Arkansas's KJ Jefferson and Raheem Rocket Sanders, maybe even Jalen Daniels and LSU's diverse ground attack. It is only going to get harder for you as things move forward. So, you really and truthfully don't have a choice. And it's not like that this rush defense is choosing to be bad, of course. But my overall point is this. This is undoubtedly the biggest storyline on this Gamecock defense in 2023. Because if you do not improve in rush defense, then likely this program will not accomplish its biggest goals for this upcoming season. So, for Clayton White and his players and his assistant coaches that are under him, this is a pivotal year. This is a put-up-or-shut-up year for some of these guys that I have mentioned. Safcon's rush defense has been an Achilles heel for this team since Shane Beamer took over. Will that all change 
in 2023? We'll, of course, find out once this season gets underway. Now, just a couple moments, we're going to kick things on over to my conversation with Locked On Aggies host Andrew Stefaniak. We talk about the eccentricity of South Carolina's matchup with the Texas A&M Aggies, how he feels about the matchup this next season, and also, what is the dynamic between Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher? We dive into all of that and more in just a couple moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. But first, today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Now, Bird Dogs are probably the most comfortable shorts that you could possibly get out there right now. Bird Dogs are essentially stretchy khaki shorts that help to give you a sculpted look. It fits good, it feels comfortable, and it's also quite versatile. It's not made of the strict restricting cotton that you will get in other shorts. And the other thing is, I mentioned the versatility. You can wear these bird dog shorts to the gym. You can wear these in the swimming pool. You can just wear these when you're going to a cookout. You can wear bird dogs just about anywhere thanks to its anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that'll keep you cool and dry all day long. Go to birddogs.com slash college and enter promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash college for a free Yeti-style tumbler. I promise you, once you put on bird dog shorts for the first time, you'll never want to take them off. Welcome back to today's edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. And real quickly, a big thank you to all of you everydayers for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. We're going to continue talking to some hosts around the SEC conference that are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. We've talked with Locked On Vols host Eric Kane and Locked On Gators host Brandon Olson. And now on today's show, I'm pleased to be joined by the host of Locked On Aggies, Andrew Stefaniak. Andrew, from one Andrew to another, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to talk about well, a fun matchup we got going on this season and maybe recap last season's matchup with the Gamecocks and the Aggies. Appreciate you having me, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. And Texas A&M, they are certainly a team that's got a lot of storylines heading into the 2023 season. We'll be sure to dive into more Aggie-centric storylines in just a little bit. But let's talk about the series between South Carolina and Texas A&M. Because last season, the South Carolina Gamecocks finally got a big monkey off their back when it came to the Aggies. They got their first win in the series history over Texas A&M right here in Columbia. What turned out to be a very, very close football game. And this loss, Andrew, sort of fell in the middle of a really long losing skid for the Aggies this past fall. When looking back at this game, do you sort of feel like that this was the game that sort of really set the whole season back for Texas A&M? It sort of just sent them on a roll that they just really could not recover from? Yeah, last year, the real thing you can chop it down to for the Aggies last year was injuries. And it, and it sounds like an excuse, but I mean, truly, injuries did derail a lot, a lot of what went on with the Aggies last season. Of course, Haynes King went down in this game last year, which is when we got to see what Connor Wegman had uh, in his in his bag. And we got to see him last year. He came in and I thought did a heck of a job in the game where, you know, the numbers eight for 15, 91 yards. 
Um, nothing, you know, not completely light off the scoreboard, but, you know, get enough done and, you know, kind of keep your team in it. But it, it was a game where this transition really happened with King's injury. You know, he was having, was already having a rough game, 17 for 32 for 178, a touchdown in the pick when he left exited the game and Wegman came in. And I think, I think that this South Carolina game kind of felt like the game where you just knew this is done for this is pack it in. Let's get going for next year. I mean, and, and some players played well, of course, a chain current Miami dolphin, former Texas A&M running back was 20 for 99 on the ground with a touchdown also caught seven passes for 57 yards. So he had a good game, uh, star wide out. Evan Stewart had a good game, six for 87 through the air. So there were some positives to take away for some of these players, but at the end of the day, the Aggies couldn't get it done. And like you said, Andrew, the Gamecocks took the first game, first win in serious history between these two ball clubs. Yeah, and of course, the reason why South Carolina won that game, honestly, was South Carolina had some big special teams plays. Like Xavier Leggett taking that first kickoff over 100 yards for a touchdown. It was the second longest kickoff return touchdown in school history for South Carolina. And sort of from that moment on, it kind of felt like that even though Texas a put up a good fight, South Carolina just managed to hold on to the momentum for the entire rest of the ball game. Andrew, regarding the series itself... This is a bit of an odd matchup, to be honest, in the SEC conference when it comes to their football slate because Texas A&M and South Carolina, there's little to no history between both schools up until Texas A&M joined the conference a little over a decade ago, and then they were made permanent opponents, and they're on polar opposite ends, geographically speaking, of the conference. So there's just a lot of stuff that, on my end, really, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What are your overall thoughts on the annual matchup? You know, you're right. It's a great point that, I mean, you look at, college station and then you look at columbia south carolina and you say to yourself well, why in the world that does not make any sense it, um so to me to me that didn't make any sense when, when that first went down but it feels like a game like like i said if the series as a whole it's interesting and, and it could be up in the air going forward as you know there's a lot of realignment talk and a lot of all that news and uh so i i don't think it's a game that we're going to see every year going forward with this new way they're handling the sec with texas and oklahoma joining but it's been an interesting series and like i said i do i do believe the gamecocks win last year over the aggies kind of derailed that season and could be if the aggies don't have a good year this year you could look at that game last year as kind of the beginning of the end for the jimbo fisher uh regime in college station yeah and you know you bring up what this game could mean for both teams in 2023. So let's go ahead and dive on into that real quick because um, it falls in a really uh, sort of sticky time for both of these squads because for South Carolina's end, they're going to have a real emotional game at Missouri in week seven or eight of the season. It's, most fans might sit there and say, emotional game against Missouri. Why do you say that? Well, South Carolina hasn't beat Missouri in like four years, five years. So the Gamecocks are going to want that game badly, but then they got to do the dread back-to-back road slate against the Aggies in College Station. Not an easy place to play before playing Jacksonville State. The Aggies, on the other hand, they get a bye week before their matchup against South Carolina this year. Then they get home field advantage, and then they do have a tricky game against the Rebels also at home as well. So, Andrew, what are your overall thoughts on sort of how this matchup is setting up going into this upcoming fall? You know, um, 
I've used the word I've used the word trap game for the Aggies. Um, and to South Carolina faithful out there, I mean no disrespect. All I'm simply saying is I, I look at um, you know numbers. Uh, I use ESPN FPI numbers a lot. I think those are great metrics to kind of break down matchups. So it's not just me saying my team's going to beat your team. Um, if you look at the numbers, I believe it was close, it was close to eighty percent a chance the Aggies have to win this game at home in front of their home crowd, but. I talked about it on my own show, Locked on Aggies. I talked about the chance that this is a trap game. Because to me, in essence, a trap game is a game that you're favored in. Maybe sometimes your place can be on the road and before a big game. And I've talked about how pivotal the game the following week is for the Aggies at Ole Miss. That feels like a game, if you want to have a good season, if you want to win eight or nine games this year, if you're Jimbo Fisher and company, that Ole Miss game feels like a must-win. And I always get concerned if you overlook the Gamecocks and look forward to Ole Miss, Gamecocks can come to your place with an experienced quarterback and Rattler and beat you. So it's a game um, where I think, you know, if South Carolina comes out and plays a good football game, I think the Gamecocks win this one. Yeah, no, for sure. And you are right. The Aggies are playing at Ole Miss. That game is not at home. And uh, I may have accidentally Honestly, mixed up the 2022 schedule with 2023. So that's my bad on that end. But either way, you are completely right. I mean, for Texas A&M and South Carolina, it kind of feels like one of those games where both teams are sort of looking at it and they're saying, you know, if we want to take a step forward this next year or maybe at least maintain our relevancy, uh, this is not a game we can lose. And so, you know, it could be one of those back-against-the-wall type games, especially if both these teams lose some big games heading into that contest. So certainly one that both teams are probably circling on the calendar once they get closer to that matchup. All right, continuing conversation here with Locked On Aggies host Andrew Stefaniak. Andrew, let's now dive more into what else is going on in College Station. Because as we talked about earlier, there is plenty of headlines and storylines to talk about when it comes to Texas A&M's football program. The biggest one from this offseason, without a doubt, is the addition of new offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino, whom Jimbo Fisher claims he is going to let him run the offense. He's not going to interject in terms of play calling. Maybe he'll just be there to maybe give some suggestions or advice if needed. But either way, it kind of feels like, in a way, a desperation move because we all know what happened last year, 5-7 and seven record. You know, Jimbo Fisher's middle name might as well be eight wins because that's mainly what he's done throughout the majority of his time in College Station. So uh, how are Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher getting along? Or do you think that this is something that could work out well for the Aggies? It's a fun conversation to have. I think that's the best way to start this. So for me, you know, when they first hired Petrino, I kind of sat back and I was like, this could work if Jimbo let it. And that's been the real conversation with it is, is Jimbo going to let Coach Petrino do his thing? Coach Petrino, I know there's been off the field issues, but when it comes to his play calling ability and his offensive mind, it's one of the best in college football history. And, and there's not much of an argument to that. So. It, it was a weird hire, and I think you were the word the des- desperation hire was a great way to kind of chop it up. Reason being, last year was awful. Aggie fans that are tuning in, it was. I, I apologize for bringing it up to my fellow Aggie fans all the time, but it was painful and awful, and I was not very happy with it, as everyone was. So you had to make a change. 
The Aggies, of course, had the number one overall recruiting class in 2022, you know, nation and SEC. Yep. You had, I believe it was 14 five stars, which is like when you think about how many five stars there are in a class, that just doesn't feel fair. And then you win five games. Like, no, come on. And that's why I think this Petrino hire, I think, like you said, the desperation, that's a great way to chop this up. I think Coach Fisher could be in trouble if the Aggies don't win eight-plus games this year. Um, and frankly, and I'll say this too, they didn't hire him to win eight games. They hired him to compete for championships. So I think it's a little sad that Coach Fisher's gone to a point where we're gonna if he wins eight games this year, everybody is fist bumping and 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 happy, which eight grams eight wins is still a great season. Um, but to get back on the Petrino side of things here, I'm a big believer in what's gonna happen here. If Jimbo let him let lets him do his thing, that's gonna be the key. If Jimbo lets him do his thing, I think Petrino is gonna make this offense great. Connor Wegman, the projected starter for the Aggies is a guy who, you know, what's so awesome about Coach Petrino is his ability to get it done with different styles of quarterback. Uh, you've had lots of guys throughout his career. One of, you know, you've had pocket passers. You've had Lamar Jackson. You've had all different types of guys that he's done it with. Now, Wegman is not Lamar Jackson. He can use his legs a little bit. But to wrap up my thoughts here, I think this Petrino thing is going to work out if Jimbo lets it. And I think it could take an this Aggies offense from awful to awesome with the snap of your fingers on the quarterback situation. Do you think that there is even a sliver of a chance that Max Johnson could be the quarterback for the Aggies, or is this kind of weapons job to lose until further notice? You know, um, Jimbo gave one of those classic coach talk responses when asked this question recently, um, you know, his classic, well, everybody's going to be fighting for their job. Nobody's guaranteed. I'm not buying it. Uh, and like, like, that's a great way to chop it up. It is Connor Wegman's job until he does something for it to not be Connor Wegman's job. Now, I think a takeaway here for the Aggies is Max Johnson is a is a solid backup quarterback. I always give this comparison um, with, of course, you know, South Carolina, you all uh, SEC uh, East fans. Now, I know this is no longer a thing after the season, but um, I, I bring up this comparison to UK. Will Levis was an outstanding quarterback uh, these last two seasons. The backup quarterback there was horrendous. Levis yep. was banged up this last year. It was it was South Carolina, right, where Levis didn't play. Yeah, is that yep. correct? Yeah, and South and Carolina the backup win. was horrendous. I can Awful. definitely confirm that. I, I'm glad that I'm talking about this. On that's awesome. I didn't realize that until I even brought it up. Um, so you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, that yeah. is why Max Johnson is is such a big deal for the Aggies. You want a backup who, if something happens, can get in and win football games at the SEC level, and Max Johnson's that. He has experience at multiple SEC schools. He's been a good player. Um, I think Wegman, of course, a former five-star recruit, I think it's his job to lose, like you said, but I do think having Johnson as a backup makes this Aggie team better because if something were to happen, whether it's an injury or just bad play, I think you can plug and play Max Johnson and win football games. Yeah, and honestly, Andrew, I think that Johnson deserves a little bit of credit because I know he's already used up one transfer from LSU to A&M, and I don't know if he could have transferred after this past season. I don't know his graduation status, but the fact that he hasn't you know, been complaining, at least from what I've been able to tell, and he's been seemingly okay with the fact that you know he probably is the backup until further notice, I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that because you, know, you don't see that now with some players in college football. And I think the Aggies, they honestly – 
they might have a top five quarterback room in this conference still in terms of talent. They just need somebody to be able to get that out of them. And Bobby Trino could very well end up being that guy. All right, Andrew, you said earlier, Jimbo Fisher, you think he needs to win eight plus games to maintain or keep his job. Do you think that there's a particular point in the season or a particular game where it's like if things have gone south or maybe Jimbo drops a specific game where the Aggie Board trustees and the boosters and the fan base all just pack it in and say, that's it. We're done with the Jimbo Fisher era. It's time to move on. Let's look. Okay. Let's break this down. I got my schedule here right in front of me. If you look at it, there's a lot of games on the schedule the Aggies can lose. I've talked a lot about this being a boomer bust season. I think the Aggies could win nine, ten games if it all comes into place. I think they could win five games if all goes wrong. It's a really widespread ceiling and floor for this team. But, I mean, if you go through the schedule, Auburn at home, game I think you could lose if if all goes well there for Coach Hugh Freeze and the Auburn Tigers. Arkansas and neutral side at AT&T Stadium, game you can lose. Bam at home, game you can lose. At Tennessee, game you can lose. South Carolina at home game you can lose. I mean, I think, you know, and I think what what I'm gonna what I'm gonna kind of get to here is, if you've dropped a game to an Arkansas, a Auburn, a Alabama, a Tennessee, and then of course Miami. I don't think I said maybe I didn't, but Miami. You play Miami at Miami second yeah. week of the season. Yeah. Um, so let's let, I'm gonna say it like this. Let's count those. That's one, two, three, four, five games before the South Carolina game that I think the Aggies could lose. I think if you lose four of those games and uh, three, maybe four of those games, and then South Carolina comes down and beats you, I think that's it. I really do. I, I think um, because, you know, you go to Ole Miss, um, you could also make that argument for the Mississippi State game at home two weeks later after the Ole Miss game. Right. If you lose that game, you know, I'm not very high on Mississippi State this year. I, I think that's legitimate. I don't know if they will fire him midseason, to be honest with you. Um, but I think if he wins – I don't know if they fire him if he wins seven or eight games, to be honest with you. I, I think they didn't bring him here to win seven or eight games. They brought him here to compete for SEC championships. And for the most, I mean, he really hasn't done that. So at the end of the day, I think there's a chance that he is fired. If he, if he does what he did last year or anything similar to that, he's gone. And I think all Texas, everyone around the program, fans can agree on that. Yeah, and you bring up teams like Auburn, first year under Hugh Freeze, a team like Arkansas. You know, you respect what they've done to Sam Pittman, but they're not a team that exactly scares you outside KJ Jefferson, Raheem Rocket Sanders. And then, you know, Alabama, they look to have a little bit of a chink in their armor. And Texas A&M, they've fought them really hard, no matter what the talent gap has been potentially the last couple years. And LSU's emerging. So, yeah, I mean, there is a path where, like you said, if the Aggies do not put some of these things together, especially on offense – that, um, you know, it could be another disastrous season. And that's why the SEC is so much fun, because it can be a blunder for almost every single team, and they can't even see the forest for the trees until the season actually starts. So be interesting to watch what all goes down in College Station this upcoming fall. He is Andrew Stefaniak of the Locked On Aggies podcast. Andrew, I really appreciate you coming on to today's show. Once again, where can all the fine folks find all of your work? Yeah, if you all are interested in anything A&M related or, you know, if you're getting ready for the A&M South Carolina matchup this year, you can head on over to my podcast, Locked on Aggies. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Stefaniak. I tweet about a lot of SEC related stuff on there. So check out that. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great having you on once again. And for all you Locked on Gamecock fans, uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. And I'll be sure to catch y'all on the next show of the Locked on Gamecocks podcast.